Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan. Exploring the Seasons of Life is a metaphor for understanding the complexities of being alive. It's a reminder that life is filled with ups and downs, joys and sorrows, and moments of both growth and stagnation. Life is a journey, and each season brings its own unique lessons and experiences. And as we move through the different seasons of life, we learn, we grow, and we become better versions of ourselves. Each week, I interview spiritual explorers, amazing coaches, and authors from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. Prepare yourself for another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast with my guest, Martine Batchelor. Martine and I first met over a decade ago, and our conversation today is her heartfelt journey. Martine is a trained architect, painter and sculptor, and she moved to the United States in 1996 with her husband, Eric, a race car driver, and their two beloved children, Elliot and Emily. Martine, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Cindy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I've been so excited ever since I reached out to you, you know, several weeks ago about our conversation. And as we're having this conversation, I said to you when we had that talk, I said, Martine, I want to put this out at Mother's Day. This is going to be such a beautiful Mother's Day gift. Thank you for picking up that day, because that makes sense. And I, I say hello to every mother who are listening to us. Well, I'm going to start off with my favorite question. And that is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you? Well, when you, when you talked about that question in the very first place, I, I needed a moment. And then I said, okay, my way of exploring the season of life is basically observing how and why we change during our life. And I realized when I was a kid, I, I lived in a very dysfunctional family um, and, and I felt happy. I was in my own bubble, in my own zone, and I suppose I was happy for no specific reason. And when I met my husband and uh, we create our family uh, and we had uh, Elliot and Emily, um, I felt extremely happy for tons of reasons. Uh, we came in the U.S., my husband created his team, I created a company where I was organizing uh, 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 parties for children, which I love. I, uh, uh, with my background as an architect, I began to uh, rehabilitate an uh, old chicken farm. Uh, it was exhilarating because we were manifesting our dreams and passion. And I really believe at that point that happiness was granted. It was, it was just normal. It was part of life. And of course, when Elliot, my son, began to suffer from addiction, everything changed because suddenly I discovered what fears uh, were. I discovered shame, guilt. I was so sad. I realized that nothing was granted, not even life. At that point, you know, I, um, I realized that, but it was still unconscious until my son passed away 
in October 2018. And it's only after his death that I realized that we basically are happy for no or for all reasons. We find our happiness in our spiritual path, deep inside. Uh, it, it cannot be depending on the circumstances. And this is the reason why I love this uh, principle in Buddhism of the relative happiness and absolute happiness. And I suppose in the season of life, in this cycle, you always create, grow, fail, reinvent yourself eventually. And you discover what is your true nature, which is spiritual matter. Uh, thank you, Martine. I've had, you know, at this point, uh, of, uh, over 130 episodes, and I just adore that question because of how it opens up and how each person has their own flavor of what that means to them. And I always love and appreciate everybody's perspective because it gives other people a different way of looking at things. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I think before we go any further, I just gave just like a quick little two-line introduction because I would like for you to like really introduce yourself and however you would like to do that. I, I want to talk about, you know, how I function. I'm a very optimistic person. I love energy. I always connected with this concept of abstract, you know, invisible form, the energy. I love nature. I love art. I, I love good vibration. I am I'm tuned with the invisible and the subtle realms. I love symbols, allegories. I like the mystery. This is how I function. Then I believe that when I begin to create some sculpture in bronze and aluminum and I begin to paint with acrylic, I just realized that creativity is a form of connection with a, a subtile realm, an infinite mind, something that goes way beyond our knowledge, our reason, our intellect. And this is probably why I'm just so interested by that form of expression. Then, yes, that's who I am. Yeah, you know, I, I read that, you know, trained architect, painter, and sculptor, but I knew you as a wife, a mother, and an artist, you know, someone who was very into nature and, and art. I'm going to skip over to your book. Can you yes. just talk about why did you write the book, Spiritual Matter, and what does spiritual mm -hmm. matter mean to you? I wrote this book one year after my son passed away. I began to write this book one year after. And what happened is that when my son passed away, I was filled with an immense love, um, something that is almost impossible to describe. And it was a reassuring love. I was not suicidal. I was not completely depressed. I was not lost. And I know that some, some friends were looking at me thinking, how can she do that? Because I love so much my son. I love my children. I love my family. 
And with my son, we were extremely close. We communicate every single day. We texted each other. We were really uh, connecting all the time. And, uh, and when Elliot passed away, I felt the same uh, proximity, connectedness. Uh, I felt that I was uh, with him in a, a similar realm. And at the time, I spoke with a friend who lost two children on four. One addiction, one a car accident. And when I told her what I was feeling, she told me, you know, Martin, this is the grace of love. This is divine love. And those words really resonated in me because I had no clue. I had absolutely no clue. But then that was the beginning of the book because I said to myself, why does that happen to me? Why do I have the gift of grace of love? Why me? And... I want to understand what was happening to me. That was the beginning. And and can you just go a little bit deeper into explaining what that feeling of divine love was for you? Yes. And in fact, for that, I'm, I'm going to take a text that I'm going to read to you because a day, not even a day, after Elliot uh, passed away, we were in Belgium when Elliot passed away and we, we, we jumped in a plane, we came back in the US. And I, for you to understand my state of love and freedom, I'm gonna read this letter that I, I, I just basically wrote right after his passing. And I think it's gonna give you um, an idea of where I was. Then the text is this one. And I still truly believe that these words were given to me. I, I was like only a conduct for love. That's what I believe. My son, my love, your pure, radiant, mischievous, tender spirit has touched each of us. We loved each other unconditionally. Love is the only thing that matters and the only thing left. Without beginning or end, without judgment, without regret, love warms us, connects us. Love makes us one. Time is no longer a vague illusion, a useless, obsolete vector. Love doesn't think of the past, present, future. Love is forever. When death knocks on the door, the memory of beautiful souvenir becomes our invisible crutch and love our ultimate language. In life and death, this love is light. Let's fill our hearts with all its nuggets. So, sorrow is sublimated and eternity settles down peaceful and serene. Now, you have left us and found your home, a celestial kingdom of infinite mysteries, from where you send us messages and remind us that our world is beautiful. Elliot, we will meet you where you are. We love you and we love you always. Martine, that is beautiful. Yes, and you know, our friends, our friends Pascal in Belgium created this little flyer that you cannot see, but maybe I would send you a pictures of that. And it's with all, almost this poem, this letter. 
And he gave that letter to all the friends who came to the celebration of life of Eliot. And yes, I mean, I think you understand what I felt. I, I, I was, I said to Eliot, I will find you where you are. And in fact, at the moment I wrote that, I had found him already. He was in my heart. He was in my heart. Then there was no other mystery to solve. I had find Elliot. I would say that um, the only remaining question was how that was possible. Fair, fairly quickly, I decided, okay, I'm going to answer and, uh, and eventually inspire other people. The letter that you just read, and especially if as this is going out on Mother's Day, it is going to absolutely do exactly what you wanted to do, was to help mm -hmm. and inspire other people. Mm -hmm. and yes. I was going to ask you about your grief and that timing, but I think you just kind of like went into parts of that. But can you go a little deeper? Yes. I, I think for people to understand, and th that was my understanding when I began to write the book. Because really, honestly, when I begin to write, I was thinking, why me? Why is the grace coming to me? Why, why I'm not suffering? Like, why I'm not dying? And, um, and basically, the answer that I found was, my grief didn't begin when Elliot passed away. My grief began 10 years before, when addiction began. And this is such an important information for the people who are facing, and the mother who are facing this incredible illness, which is addiction, it's, it's, it's so, such a terrible illness. You live in fears, you live, you know, it's, it's, it's excruciating, it's so painful. And, and when I realized that my grief had begun 10 years before, I could see all the steps and all the phases of the grief because the grief has always kind of the same pattern. You begin with denial, you go with, you know, anger, guilt, and then eventually you reach the acceptance. And then after the acceptance, for some it's illumination, for some it's like a new renewal. For some it's like, oh, I found now a lesson, a reason. And um, when my, my grief began, at the beginning of the addiction, I was obviously in complete denial. I, I didn't want to see that my son was suffering from that illness. My mom was a deep alcoholic, my grandmother too. I knew exactly what he was, but he was just so awful when I was young that I probably rejected completely unconsciously. And then I became to be angry, angry with anyone who would give medication to Elliot. The, the, the doctors that were prescribing or the therapies that didn't understand the, the depth of the problem. And, uh, and one day I accepted. And I, I will always remember because that day I sent a letter to all my friends and I told them, okay, that is what is happening. Because before that, there is so, so many stigmas with addiction that you feel shameful. And I wrote to my friends and I spoke with a friend. And at that point, I knew that all options were on the table. And I surrendered. And this is where you, the big change occurs. Because I could see Elliot as his soul and not only as someone suffering from addiction. Because when you are with the fear and with the guilt, 
you, you, you try to fix, you want to control all the time. And when suddenly you know that that exists, but you can put that on the side, then you can really connect with the other one fully on an unconditional love level. And that saved me because I recognized that love when Elliot passed away. That, that is critical in a grief, absolutely critical. If you reach that point of unconditional love, even when death occurs, you still continue to nourish yourself and connect with the loved one through that love. That, that, was, that was all my answer, basically. Now, at the beginning, you talked about symbols and your love of symbols. And the cover of your book is yes. very unusual. Can you talk to us about those symbols? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and hopefully you can see this picture. Then the, the book, the title is Spiritual Matter from Grief to Light, uh, Light and Light to Life. And on this cover, you see a hourglass that is connected to something that looks like Earth and that looks like a cloud. I would say the cloud of the unknowing. Some can say heaven, God. Then basically, when I prepare this book, and I, I find spiritual matter would be the best a title because that's what I felt deeply inside. I said, you know, we are spiritual matter by essence. That's who we are. When when you feel this grace of love, something that is way vaster than anything you can imagine with your mind and head and soul process, obviously you are connected with infinite mind, God, or this higher higher power. Let's say that way. Then uh, a friend referred that artist, which is Alexandra Eldridge. I highly recommend to look at her website. Her work is very, very beautiful. And, and that specific piece of art was, I think, um, really embodying the subject, spiritual matter. Then you have the hourglass, who basically is connected to earth and heaven, which for me, in my own understanding, means that we can reach the eternity when we are connected in the present. Because when you are in the past and the future, you are only in your thought process. The only period of time where you connect deeply with your being, you know that I am alive, this is my life, this is me right now, it's in the present. Then basically, when you connect in the present, in this material world, you give yourself a chance to discover and self-realize who you really are, which is spiritual matter, and connect to the eternity and God or higher power. Now on this cover, you will see there is a little bird on the top of a ladder. The bird is you and me. It's us. And we are constantly, you know, in a process of transformation. And the ladder is the transformation. It's the symbol of the transformation. We try to climb each step and evolve. And, uh, and of course, sometimes we go down and then we go up. And we are always between this uh, matter and, and spiritual realm. Then for me, spiritual matter is that when we align and we become this axe between matter and spirit, and we are both. Then um, the hourglass, I spoke about that. It. It's uh, the time. The darkness uh, can uh, 
also give you some information about, okay, we find strangely light in sometimes the most excruciating darkness of our life. Because darkness pushes you at the limit. You know, when everything goes well in your life, well, you don't ask yourself question. You think, oh, I'm happy, everything is good. When you have trauma or even, you know, the difficulties of everyday life, then you reconsider how you can, you know, deal with those problems. And eventually you discover something else. Then darkness is, um, I mean, light is not something we see with the eyes, our eyes, our body in this material world. The light is invisible, it's subtle, it's hidden in, in the darkness of life. And I think, you know, this is just beautiful. And the three icons on the cover represent the levels of consciousness and how we operate and we react in life. And this is the, the three, the three uh, levels of consciousness that I develop in this book. Because it was my way to structure the work I did for 10 years before Elliot passed away and saved me in some ways. So Martine, so the cover is just like almost like an extension of your of the book of your story with Absolutely. all the symbols and and what they mean and everything. And I really want to tell you and 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 offer my sympathy for Elliot, but if you feel comfortable, I would love for you to tell us about Elliot. Yes, absolutely. Elliot was beautiful young man in and out. Anyone that will talk about him will um, remember his smile. He will remember his kindness. He, he, want, he wanted always that people around him would feel good. He, he was a very, very kind person. He, he, didn't, he was not jealous. He didn't critique anyone. I believe that Elliot was this type of very, very good person. Like you would say that his heart was crystal clear. He was extremely sensitive. And I think that made him easily manipulated eventually by, you know, others' life. Um, he had a huge difficulty with to deal with life, obviously, and see his um, value, his own value. And... Um, Yes, one of the last conversation I had with Elliot uh, before I, I left him and I went in Europe, it was maybe three or four days before he passed away. He, he made me listen to um, an interview of Eric Leclerc because Eric is fascinated with race car and Eric Leclerc is a Formula One driver. And he made me listen to this interview two times in a row. And basically, Eric Leclerc is speaking about how he, he learned or he expand his ability to deal with his emotion, his thought process, and the huge pressure you have in the Formula One, you know, arena. And Elliot was, I think, amazed by that because he couldn't do it for himself. And um, since Elliot passing, I haven't talked so much about his addiction the rehab center, or what he did, because <clears throat> I had the feeling that the story belongs to him in some ways. But I, I want to talk about our love 
and I want to talk about how he has profoundly changed us and me and how his energy still manifests in the everyday, um, our everyday life. That's how I, I talk about Elliot today. Mm. And I can, um, I want everyone to know you sent me some pictures and I'm going to be, you know, using the pictures in the show notes and I can see and I can feel the love, the connection that you two had. Yeah, we were, you know, together, you know, in a family, you have kind of always a balance between the member of the family. Then my daughter was more rational and, you know, with my husband. And they are very generous. They always anticipate everything, you know. And Elliot and I, we were the little birds. Like, ooh, uh, life is good, you know. We dance, we listen to the music. And we were crazy together. We, were, we had a great time. We were always laughing. And, yeah, the bond was, was very nice. Yes. yes. Well, in your book... You talk about the three circles of consciousness, the circle mm -hmm. of fire, love, and light. Mm -hmm. And you also mention a body of light. So how and why did you imagine those circles? And did you envision them as you wrote the book? Yes. Yes. Basically, I envisioned Yes, that concept when I wrote the book, because as I said, at the beginning, I wanted to understand what was happening to me. Then it was really a personal quest. When I realized, okay, Martin, yeah, your, your grief began 10 years before. You have been to all the stages. Now you are basically in your heart. What have you done in between? And then I said, okay, my story, I went in India. I did this, I did that. I could basically understand like uh, what was I mean I could connect the dots let's say that way and I said how can I present that then it can be useful for a reader and I said yeah let's go with consciousness because why or how some people seem to react with more serenity or softness of grace in a grief the only answer I could find was consciousness Okay, if I tell you, Cindy, or anyone who is listening to this podcast, okay, observe your posture right now. What are you going to do? You're going to basically, uh, you know, straight your back. You may, you know, pull your chin and align your shoulders. Then it means that whatever we observe intentionally, we're going to change. Our, our object of observation change then it means that when you start observing what you feel, how you react, what you said or you did, you will modify that version of you because you will realize that many of your reactions do not serve you or that your behavior are based on limiting beliefs. And that's the whole process. When we begin to be aware and observe, we change. That's inevitable. And... Um, what does that mean? It means that being conscious of our body, our mental process, our emotion, our habits, allow us to change, to evolve, to see out of the box, to have another perception, a bigger angle, and completely change our story and the grief. Then, um, what can I say? Um, we change our life, 
by changing what we see, how we see, how we function, how we operate, by ex expanding what we allow us to see. I don't know if that makes sense. Then now, just to go to, you know, more specifically in each circle, the, the circle of fire, it's basically the ego. It's the physical plane. It's the material plane, okay? It's you and me as a person, you know. Um, we Sometimes we want to be right. We're going to resist. We're going to avoid. We're going to reject. We're going to forget. But we also have the courage. You know, we are motivated. We, we, we intend to do things. We create. We act. That comes from, you know, this power that we have in our guts. But sometimes we have a narrow navel and we have a constricted view. Everything happened in this first circle that I locate in the abdomen. Okay? And then we have the circle of love, which obviously it's in the heart. And the circle of love is where we surrender. We go with the flow. And we feel unconditional love. And we embrace intuition. And most important, we trust. Okay? That's the true nature. That's your soul. This is when... You love unconditionally. I, don't, I wouldn't say to my son, you know what? I'm going to love you only if your, your test is clear. No, I love you. Even if I can read in your pupils that you took something, even if I can hear in your voice that you took something, I love you. You know, plain and yes. simple. That's the authentic self. That's, that's the soul-to-soul -soul love, okay? And of course, when you basically make those two circles work in harmony and you can make your, your sincerity, your authenticity, your own essence in your everyday life, you eventually enter in this circle of life, that, what I call the circle of light. And that it is where you receive the sign of the afterlife. This is where you feel so intuitive and you are in the zone. Okay, Cindy, probably you felt some days that you are more aligned than others, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. You feel that, oh, everything, I, I was in the flow today. Everything went so well. I, I didn't have to do any effort or specific effort. I didn't have to think about it. It's like everything came into place, right? Yes. That is the circle of light. This is where you go behind your mental abilities or cognitive intellect abilities and you can nourish yourself from some, something that is way bigger than yourself and that comes from the higher powers the flow some some will say cosmic energy some will say god it really doesn't matter the words but that is the circle of light then the ideal is and not, I, don't, I shouldn't say the ideal, because I think any place in a grief is a good place, okay? But when I speak about spiritual matter, it means that we are aligned in those three circles. We are able to see the manifestation of the light, and then we are able to manifest this light in the everyday life. So, Martine, I'm curious... Yes. Are you going to be doing any type of um, workbook or anything like that to go along with the book itself where you will be going into the three circles of consciousness? Okay. Then basically in, in this first edition, because I probably will have others, <laughs> but in this first edition, I basically explain myself, you know, my own experience, what I have done 
to evolve from one circle to the other one and expand. Then I believe when you are in the circle of fire, this if you are constrained in your ego, basically you're gonna only react and and be upset and and you know being impulsive and and not find what is you know true love or unconditional love. And yes, in the book there is already exercises. Okay. And I call those exercises clarification, like detox your mind, the monkey mind, this negative self-talk. So many people talk about that. Okay. Then it's, um, uh, you know, the first time I discovered that when I moved in the US was with Dr. Phil, because he basically had a whole audio about that. And then after that, you realize that, you know, when I went in India, well, of course, they speak about, you know, uh, you know, your soul that is at the bottom of the lake and all the water, you know, making waves and make the water cloudy because it's your monkey mind. Then I understand that, you know, all seekers and master are, are talking about that, you know, then, um, yes, in each circle in this book, you're going to find exercises and it goes through a pattern that I realized was functioning for me. Then it was detox the mind, anchor yourself, use your senses, be present. If you're not present, nothing will happen. Then that is the chapter about mindfulness. Slow down. It's about self-care. It's about self-love, all that. And when you have that strong foundation and you are here right now and you love yourself for who you are, you can expand because then suddenly you can love others. And this is where you feel collective pain, for example. You feel for others, you have compassion, empathy. This is not something you can create with your mind. It comes from your heart. That's the authentic self. And you have exercise for that because then you have to center in your heart and align. And once you have aligned, you have created already two points, you know, in the first circle, the circle, and then suddenly, eventually, you open it on something bigger. And then you see the sign. You allow yourself to see the signs. Because the signs are there. It's just because we don't see them. Then, yes, exercises are in this book. I believe in the next edition, I will probably separate kind of the story and the theory and do the second part, just only the workbook. But I think maybe a workshop would be really nice because then we can discuss and explain. And that may be one of the next uh, steps. Yeah, I can see that, Martine, because the way that you're um, talking about these three circles of consciousness, and now I, I know right now we're kind of talking about it in terms of grief, but it yes. really is a life, uh, um, a way of living life as well. Absolutely. And in fact, this book is really not about addiction and, and only death. I mean, obviously, I speak from my own experience, and my biggest trauma is... Elliot's death. That's the reality. That's the fact. And it is my story. Yes. But then what I have learned from him can be used in any situation. Even if you have like a small dispute with a colleague at work, you can always ask yourself, oh, wait a minute. From where do I operate right now? Do I operate from my fire? Boom, boom, boom. I react. I fight. I resist. I explain myself, I defend myself, or oh, can I just breathe, 
make a pose and eventually see that from another angle, wider. And then you detach yourself from that ego and you take a distance, you relativize. And then from there you can forgive, you can accept. You don't have to be agree, but you surrender. That's the beauty, you know. And then, yes, this book, I mean, I speak about, you know, experiences from my friends who had cancer. Uh, I speak about different type of situation like a divorce or separation. You know, you can apply that same type of, of um, you know, concept at any moment of your life. I do it all the time. I use it every single day because I'm a very passionate person, very passionate person. And I can, I can react quickly. Then I have to cut myself. And, and that really helped me, in fact. Yeah, Martina, I was going to ask you, um, does this chain of consciousness still help you? And I can hear that it does. Yes, absolutely. Yes, because um, obviously, when I saw how it has transformed me and how my grief uh, gave me access to a higher spirit, I kind of always knew that, that it was there. I always believed like in a kind of in a cloud of, of, you know, ideas or a flow that was there and, and everything was possible if we kind of, you know, reach that kind of cloud. And some people will say God, and it's kind of a cloud of anything that is possible. Um, I didn't always use it. Because when I was at the beginning of the addiction, I was in my fears. I didn't think about that. It's only later. And now, anything I do, like, you know, even before, for example, this interview, it's my first podcast. Never done that. And my daughter told me yesterday, are you afraid, mom? And I said, no. And then when we were getting closer, I said, okay, just know exactly what you feel right now. And I said, okay, you're, yeah, maybe there is a little apprehension. And then I said, that's all good, Martin. That's fine. The most important part is that you recognize. You recognize when you are angry, fearful, whatever. Uh, feeling that, it's a red flag. And when you know that you feel that, then you can act. Then I said, okay, I'm going to do my little routine. Then I shaved, I detoxed, and then I did energy, and I connected, you know. And then I said, okay, you feel good. And in fact... 15 minutes before the podcast, I said, I'm good. I don't have to think. I don't have to read. I, I don't have to do anything. And, and, it's, and it's funny because I wrote that on a paper. And I said to myself, okay, when you connect with a higher power, sometimes you just ask. You know, you ask, oh, I hope everything would be fine. Da, da, da. You know. And then I said to myself, and I wrote it on a paper for you to read. I said, I don't ask for anything because I have everything. Ah, Martine. But that is, the, the, and that I didn't think about that. It came to me intuitively after my prep. Because, and that's all the point, you know, Cindy, when you connect to a higher power and you trust that something is there for you, you don't have to ask anything because you know you are spiritual matter. You have everything. Yes. You know, that's it. That's that's really mainly the most Im important message. And we all are like this. And I think, you know, 
for the person who are listening to this, I tell them, you already are your best. Your best is in you. You know, you just have to decide to express it. But sometimes it's true. We can, I mean, human being is very controlling and he wants to think, oh, I know everything. No, we don't know anything, you know, and it doesn't even matter. We can rely on something that is beyond our, you know, intellect. We can, and when we do that, everything comes to us. You know, I would have never have believed this was your first podcast because you are so, you know, you're passionate and animated and so full of energy and love that it's just thank coming you. fully across. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I really appreciate what you say, but it's true that, you know what, really, I mentioned that the preparation before this podcast, because this is what we can do at any moment in our life. Then if anyone is struggling right now with addiction, mental illness, and you feel lost and you feel, you feel sad, there is a way, there is a way, but it always, always begins with one thing, what you want, your intention. Yes. You, you know, and that is something we have to use our mental ability. And, and that's why, you know, I wrote in the book, either you cry and you regret, or you cry and you love. Mm. You have those two choices. Either I don't want to say you go down the hill or you go up. It does. It's not that point. It's 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 a choice. You you, you just want to know if you want to expand and discover something new and reinvent yourself and be the best you can be, or if you want to spend a little bit more time with your anger and with your you know blaming or guilt or whatever. Because if you want to spend time there, it's because you need it, and it's good too. There is nothing good or bad, you know. Uh, sometimes we speak about a spiritual path and we speak about purification, elevation, and things like this. I don't especially like that. I like to say, okay, we expand. We expand to something that we didn't know before, and now suddenly we see more, okay? Uh, but when we see less, it's okay too. Until we are aware of it, then eventually we can work on it. That's why observation is very important, your intention, is very important. Your imagination is very important. All those things, when you put them together, will basically show you the path. Mm. Martine, I know that you said that um, you don't really speak about addiction. Yes. In the book, but can you just, what can you say to parents? Yes. In fact, you know, it's true that addiction is just something so ugly because it, it really destroys the person, his best qualities, his um, relationship, his um, work, almost everything, you know. He didn't implode our family. We really loved each other until the last day of Elliot's physical, you know, life. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I don't want to talk specifically about addiction, because I think so, so many people did it, you know, very clearly. But I want to say three things um, that I, I, I learned. The first thing is that when you have addiction and dependency, you usually have codependency. 
I was codependent. I became codependent. I thought that I could uh, control, that I could fix by controlling. And in fact, the control is the, the, the balance of fear. When you are fearful, you want to control because you want to redirect and eliminate your fear, you know? And, um, and then um, you basically, when you do that, you forget one important thing, to take care of yourself. Your focus is only on the one you want to fix. Then you, you, you don't exist anymore. You don't take care of yourself. You ignore the basic rules of self-care and self-love. Then when we are in the guilt or anger or shame or constant pressure, we don't recharge our battery. We are drained, absolutely drained. We are in a, in a trap. It's like the tornado, you know, it's, it's chaotic. But when the day you realize that you can be in the center of the tornado, you can observe what's going on and you can take a pause. You can slow down. You can be good with yourself. And I know it sounds unreal because if someone is facing a child uh, suffering from addiction right now, it seems irrational. If I tell her, you know what? Buy a candle, buy flower, stop, walk in the woods, paint something, uh, listen to a nice, you know, nourishing music or do a spa because we don't allow ourselves to do that. It's, it seems irrational, but I will tell in reality, that's what you need the most. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we only forget ourselves, but sometimes we forget the siblings. My daughter has been so courageous. She was also, um, you know, powerless in front of her brother's addiction. She tried so much to help him. And um, she was so courageous because each time we were four of us, we only spoke about addiction because we were looking at each other. What's going on? What's happening? Is he sober? Is he clean? Is he doing well, better, worse? It's, it was just consuming. And, uh, you know, we cannot give that back to the siblings. And we did our best. And, and our daughter did her best too, because one day she said to us, I want to be good for two, mom. Then she was fighting all the time to be perfect. But it's not, it was not her job to be perfect. We need to have failures. Anyway, um, I have a lot of respect, love for my daughter and all the siblings who are suffering and sometimes are forgotten or forgotten. The third and final thing I want to say is that behind the behavior of the addiction, the lying, the stealing, the, the ugly things, ugly things, there is love. And I mentioned that before. Love your child, love him. Don't only look at his behavior and the addictive behavior. Love him from soul to soul. Because you know what, you suffer, but he's probably the one who suffered the most. That love will help you tremendously if anything, the worst case scenario this happened. Because then you will know the love and you will, you will stay in that love. Martine, that is three very, very powerful. I'm not even going to call those tips. Those are three powerful lessons that yes. you went through that you are able to offer to somebody else. So thank you for that. And you know, Cindy, in the book, I also mention um, there is a whole chapter about that. 
uh, tips for the entourage, for the friends of someone suffering from a mental illness or this or that. It is, I saw it with my own eyes. Some people do things kind of right and some people are just completely off, you know. And in the book, you will find a list of what what I advise and what I, I just don't advise. There are certain type of sentences that are really honestly not helping at all the person who is grieving. But that's another subject. I just mentioned that because this book is also for the people who are not grieving themselves or everything seems fine. They may be the less adequate person to help. <laughs> so I would love for you to talk about the story of the first Father's Day after mm -hmm. Elliot's death. Yes. The, uh, then when Elliot passed away, of course, very rapidly, I, be I began to see some sign because I was connected to that field of energy and I could, I could see that, those signs. I saw them. My husband uh, had a very different grief than me. Um, and I don't want to talk about that specifically now because it is his story too. But um, he was not, let's say, uh, as open as me on the spiritual realm and, you know, the sign and things like this. He was listening to me, but not really connecting. And um, the first Father's Day, uh, after Elliot's passing, Elliot passed in October, then it was just maybe six months later or something like this. Uh, my husband told me, you know, Martin, there is no way that I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate my, my father's day. Our daughter lived in Paris at the time. Then we were just the two of us. And I told him, okay, Eric, no way. If Elliot was there, we would celebrate. It would be there. It would be a joyful day. Then we're going we're gonna to go out and we're going to follow the plan. And we went to this farm, which is next door to us. It's a traders pond, uh, organic farm. And, uh, we were there and, uh, we just sit and I could see that it was heavy. He, he, he really didn't want to be there. And you have this young waiter coming and it was the first time I saw him. He, he looks kind of shy and, and very kind. And of course, you know, he introduced himself as we do in the US. And basically when he said his name, he said, my name is Elliot. And honestly, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know one, another Elliot. The only Elliot I knew was our. And um, I said to Eric, uh, this is your uh, Father's Day gift, my dear. This is for you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I could see that he was like stunned. I, I, I think he was kind of um, relieved. He felt, he felt, I think the tension just went down. And suddenly it was like, oh, something else is possible. Then it's like, oh, my angle suddenly widens. It's like, oh. I can see something else than my guilt, my tr sadness. And that was beautiful. Uh, and then after that, my, my husband and daughter, they had other signs that I explained in the book. We have no time for that, but incredible signs like synchronicity, like you are thinking, okay, it's impossible. It's a coincidence. Then I think at this point, every, everyone knows that there is something. <laughs> uh, but that is such a beautiful, heartfelt story. Oh my gosh, that brought yes. tears to my eyes. I loved it. Yes, it's, it's very beautiful. I was happy for my husband, so happy. Yes. Yes. So we're 
have had this beautiful heartfelt talk about your journey and your family and it's it truly Martine has been beautiful what would you like to say to all the mothers and especially the mothers who have lost a child what I would like to tell them is that there is a healing path there, there is hope always uh, and um, we can all transcend our suffering. This is a big part of the book. The suffering can be transcend. It, it can become pain. And then when you realize that pain is love, then you basically tune yourself to something bigger than your worries, your fears. That's the healing path. And if you lost your child and you haven't met that place yet, you have to know it is possible. And there is a way eventually to go there. I don't say that all the exercises I have in my book are your exercise, but it can give you at least um, a line and, and hope. That's the most important part. Then um, that's what I want to tell you. I said, you know, look for the past, look for help, surround you with positive energy, very good people, and, um, and, 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 you know, fill your heart with something that is healing, soft, loving. You deserve that. I know so many moms who, who are almost crazy because I was during the, the addiction at the beginning. I look like a crazy lady and you see me today. I look, I suppose, you know, I find my, my piece of heaven and, and you, you can find your piece of heaven too. Then maybe my book will inspire, maybe another book, another work, but it is possible because uh, the best is in us and you can achieve that. And when I say the best, it's basically peace, love, and absolute happiness. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners where they can find the book, your website, how they yes. can connect to you? Yes, absolutely. Then um, my website, it's my first and last name, .com. Then Martin Bachelard, in one word, .com. Then you want to see the art, the sculpture, and I speak also about the book. Um, the book, Spiritual Matter from Grief to Light and Light to Life, is on sale on Amazon on Amazon.com and on Amazon.fr. And in fact, I'm finishing the translation in French and it's going to be um, probably next month. It's going to be on sale in French as well. Um, then, yes, you go on Amazon, you type the title, subtitle, my name, you will find it. It's going to be very easy. Then on my website, you will find an email and you will even find my uh, phone number. Then I'm very good with text. You text me and you say, okay, I listen to your podcast or read your book. That's my question. And then we go from there. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate all of your time. Thank you very much, Cindy. And uh, all the best to everyone. Thank you. You have just listened to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast with your host, Cindy McMillan. As always, you can head over to CynthiaMacMillan.com 
can sign up for our newsletter, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time and live inspired.